0: Welcome back to the Faultline podcast. I'm Tommy Flanagan and shortly we'll be introducing another esteemed guest to the Faultline studio. But first, a glance back at some of our headlines from the latest issue of Faultline. We've got Varnish Software beating out Broadpeak for CDN throughput world record. We've got Microsoft joining Greening of Streaming, which is uh, an announcement that took the shine off somewhat uh, another membership announcement from a company called Coherent Logics, which has got some really interesting novel technology. We've got Chaos at Kudelsky Group. It's terminated the sale of iWeedia, shifted off its DVNOR division, and revenues are tanking. We've also got Vodafone dealing a bitter blow to RDK with that sweeping Android TV oath in Europe. We've got codec coverage with VVC's commercialization continuing apace questioning whether AV1 is slipping up already. Excedo has dipped into the M&A honeypot with investment in a mixed reality company called iCandy Labs. We've got financial results from Roku, Dish Network, Liberty Global and interviews with Thread and full throttle and looking at our headline story this week which was the varnish software um, cdn experiment results i'm not going to go into all the gory details here on the podcast about the hardware specs and uh cpu configurations and the pricing angle which uh, we've we've touched on in the full piece so go and check that out for all the details but what i will say is that it's, it's clear that Varnish Software has stolen a, a march quite early this year. Um, I mean, only three months after Broadpeak published its um, its own uh, benchmark, CDN Benchmarks. And these are results that are going to intrigue anyone involved in large-scale live streaming and those rooted in driving more sustainable video delivery pipelines. And what I will say is that I, I hope Varnish Software's uh, celebrations are short-lived because if someone beats Varnish Software, then it's ultimately it's good for the broader industry and I think that's going to happen more this year because we've got CPU technology, the latest generation of CPU technology from Intel and AMD becoming more readily available. And uh, only certain people have managed to get their hands on the fourth generation processors up until now. So we're going to see more exciting results to come. And uh, it's in my nature to put a competitive uh, spin on these things, hence the, the headline. So I hope the folk at Broadpeak Peak don't feel too badly about that because ultimately this is how we drive innovation. We need to challenge each other. We need competition. So I hope this is short-lived. Anyway, on with the show. Enjoy the latest guest. Hello and welcome to another guest feature on the Faultline podcast. I'm Tommy Flanagan and this week I'm thrilled to welcome someone who is so much more than a C-suite executive pulling product strings at one of the world's most distinguished front-end TV software developers. We are in the presence of a true influencer. In the entertainment landscape, someone who puts the X factor in user experience and the face in user interface—I'm not really sure what that means either. But please welcome, all the way from Stuttgart, Pierre Donath, Chief Product and Marketing Officer at Three Screen Solutions. How are you today, Pierre?
1: Hi, Tommy. I'm great. Thank you for this uh, very nice uh, introduction. I think you you went a little bit too far, but <laughs> I'm I'm happy to be here today.
0: <laughs> no, thank you for joining us. See, um, as I've said in previous podcasts, it's all about you know, buttering them up early and, and then bang, hit them with something a bit later on. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, thanks for thanks for joining us, um, Pierre. So I, I want to open with um, with how you are now approaching your 12-year anniversary at 3SS, which uh, as a company for, for listeners who aren't aware, you know, specialist in developing multi-screen TV experiences for pay TV operators with a penchant for Android TV. And, uh, you know, more recently the company's begun making its mark on the in-vehicle infotainment space, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a bit. But first of all, 12 years, wow, that's a that's a, quite a, a milestone. So, you know, we see so much flip-flopping in, in this industry, particularly in kind of product and marketing positions. So first question we want to know really, Pierre, is what is your secret to such a long and successful marriage? So
1: <clears throat>
0: I, I think I, I don't have it. Um, I. I just went with the
1: feelings I had, um, and uh, I had also different expectations when I started. So I think when I when I came to 3SS uh, 2011, uh, I was I was straight from university. Um, uh, the iPad just came out, um, and I, I was always enthusiastic about entertainment and technology, and I saw a great fit because. Uh, the 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 new let's say company here three screen solutions was focusing on trying to figure out what's what's the next form of entertainment what's the next way to to kind of um, not only have live TV content but also on demand content and actually I started in UI UX design um, working on concepts how to use now the iPad as a new device to kind of consume uh, things differently. And then the company um, started to, to have uh, more and more projects. And actually, yeah, when small companies grow, uh, you need to fill the gap. So I became project manager and uh, and I I was able to learn a lot uh, from one of our big customers Swisscom back then, which I was also managing um, as as a, as a project and I managed other projects as well. But at some point, you know, we, we We're a little bit too, I would say, uh, focused on a few customers. So our challenge is more like how to diversify, how to get more customers to be also more secure. And I had the chance to work with Kai, our our CEO uh, in sales. I was traveling around. I was talking with customers. I was was learning a lot about the business as well. Not only what's the end customer experience, but what are the decisions uh, behind. Um, And I was, again, learning new things and um, from that point of view i was actually already having a a very good overview about uh, what you need to do in terms of you need to have a team you need to have a clear vision you need to of course have a business outcome but also how to get there and uh, i started actually more and more to explore um what what we can do with all this know-how from all these projects and build something where we can where we can um Deliver more value faster, uh, with with also less effort uh, and and many people involved. So that's why I started to work more on Credi, our product platform, and uh, and here we are still today. So to summarize why I'm still here, um, I, I hope I tried to explain it right. Is actually I was coming from one challenge to the other over the years. I was never in one role or one project for for many, many years. Uh, And every time I thought, okay, now maybe it's a good time to to also learn from a completely different industry, different company. Uh, There was the next challenge around the corner and I had the chance to grow internally with amazing people around me. And uh, I still get up in the morning and I'm excited to go to work. So I think that's my secret.
0: So what's the next challenge, CEO?
1: No, I don't <laughs> No, I, I don't have this as a challenge, and I also don't have this as a, as a vision. Um, I'm super obsessed still with how we can make actually this, this entertainment experience easier for everyone. And I don't know how you have it at home, but I have the feeling every year we, we, we talk a lot about it, uh, we work a lot on making it easier, but it's still not easy. It's like if I compare it with. Um, other things uh, that have improved over the years. I think entertainment is still too complex, um, and uh, I, I see it always when you ask people who are not so close to the business, uh, they they're even more lost than than we are in terms of knowing where the stuff is, uh, on which platform I can watch it, and uh, how should I actually manage now six, seven, eight subscriptions and still have a, <laughs> I would say a solid budget or a stable budget for my entertainment Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely so as is uh tradition with with having guests on the on the fault line podcast i'll kind of i'll track back through our extensive archive of articles to to find out first when we first wrote about the, the company that our guests are representing, and but also when the individuals mm-hmm. themselves first featured. Now, being a young uh, whippersnapper yourself, Pierre, I, I didn't have to track back too far in the archive to find the first mention of your name, which came up in May 2020 um, during a, a webinar with uh, Tally 2, which is a... a Big Swedish telco, and that was actually that was a really uh, revealing kind of expose about how, after some three or four months of grueling workshops, Tele2 rejected RDK in Mm -hmm. in favour of Android TV. And I recall a really important point being made because often you know we focus so much on the on the technology and the product strategy in our writing personally that you know people behind it are often an afterthought. And um, that I think that reflects three three SS quite well. And the Tele2 executive said at the time that this. This decision to roll out an Android TV operator tier platform with, with 3SS was partly made because of a lack of people um, proficient in RDK development in Europe, while there's just this abundance of talent in the Android TV mm-hmm. space. So, so a couple of questions here. Firstly, are you still working with Tally2? Because if not, this could be quite an awkward reference. And, and and is this still a kind of a trend that you're seeing two years on? Um, in this in sort of gulf of in talent um, so
1: yes uh, Tele2 is still our customer oh, thank God and, for that. Uh, <laughs> we recently launched uh, also a, a new project with them so after the big launch with the hybrid set top box um, we now launched uh, a new OTT stick so they can even let's say lower their customer acquisition cost uh, having an easier, even easier way to also um, you know enable their customers to plug in uh, their solution into any device in their home. So we are still working together. So nothing is awkward here. And I think 2 was a yeah big milestone for us uh, on the journey. Um, but on the, on the second question, so maybe just maybe to rephrase it also a bit. So you basically said that, um, sometimes technology decisions are, are done because you have not the right resources <laughs> to actually go into them or actually work on these. Um I, I think it's a when I look at Tele2, they had a very strategic view on how much they con- how much control they actually get through RDK versus Android TV, and how much scalability they get by uh, participating on, a, in, on, on roadmaps inside another ecosystem. And I think this was still the main decision driver, and then I think you're right when you then try to find people who actually are very experienced in that back then I would say there there were maybe in Europe more Android people yes but also not so many because we were also one of the first companies who actually worked on Android as a platform to to develop a set of box solution for Swisscom back then on AOSP and I think this was this was one of our let's say project where we gained a lot of know-how but coming back to the question about resources so I think it is. It is fair to say that if you if you build such a key component of your product, um, and you have to do a technology decision, you better do it for a technology that is growing, um, and where you see a lot of new students also learning it, and you know it's it's going to evolve, because if it's if it's more like that it's going to be replaced soon by a new technology, then yeah, your resources are either not available or they are just getting much more expensive. And the second problem is then, of course, you, you benefit much less from a, from a bigger community who actually creates components or works on improvements. And I think we sometimes forget that in the tech space, still a lot of people contribute for free um, uh, in forums, uh, in, in in GitLab or GitHub, uh, there's so much open source and sharing, and if the community is smaller, you just get let, less less uh, contribution from the outside.
0: Yeah, and um, part of the reason I I dropped in RDK is, which of course is bigger in um, North America than um, Android TV is bigger in in Europe, is because a couple of years ago, 3SS was talking about this having this big uh, push into into the US market in particular. So, wanted to to ask you for, for an update on, on how that's going off the top of my head. I can't think of any U.S. operator customers. I should, probably should have done my homework before coming on.
1: So I think uh, in terms of Android TV customers, uh, we we have not yet uh, have a customer. We always had very good um, discussions, but I think it's a, it's also a complete different market uh, if you compare it with Europe. Um, we, we see in the States... Um, the global players are much stronger because that's their home market. It, it's for Amazon, it's for Google, uh, it, it's for Apple, and the efforts uh, there to provide an entertainment solution for the US market is is very high. So the competitiveness uh, of the solutions is is very high, and um, for some reason, <laughs> the classic uh, cable companies uh, are less progressive as in Europe, although the market is much more competitive. Um, and we see that RDK was there um, driven by, you know, by Comcast, but, but also by other companies. And I, I think there there was also for some operators more security um, to join forces um, than, than, for example, with, with Android TV. But if you look outside of the United States, for example, North America, uh, we have a very large customer, um, and, and deployment uh, will be announced oh. soon. In South America, uh, we have a very large customer, um, our biggest customer yet in terms of um, users, monthly active users on the platform. Um, so we are very active, just not in the United States, but in Americas uh, we are we are expanding quite quite
0: fast. Wow, that's exciting. I wasn't expecting to get those little teasers into the podcast so early. When can we expect them? Um, possibly by NAB, do you think?
1: Um, so I think within the next uh, three to four weeks, you oh. definitely should uh, know both names uh, publicly.
0: Oh, I even see that expected. Brilliant. It's like you've timed this uh, podcast on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you, you opened the calendar, so I yeah. could time it No. Brilliant! Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> great. So, um, to to reference uh, another of your uh, customers, A One, I, I remember being on a recent webinar mm-hmm. of, you, of yours. You, you were talking about webinars before we hit the record button about how they're they're a bit more manageable these days. You guys have done some some great webinars. And there was this one that I wrote about recently with, with A1 that you, uh, you might have seen the write-up where it was getting to that point of kind of like, oh, my God, it's it's just getting a little bit sickly, the amount of praise mm-hmm. that was kind of being rained on 3SS by A1 and vice versa. And it was um, kind of using using the word partner a lot instead of, you know, supplier or vendor uh, and, and customer. And I remember years ago when I was starting out in this role, I'm uh, mm-hmm. approaching my eighth year now, um, it was one of uh, one of the rules, the house rules of writing, that it wasn't a partnership. There's was no such thing as a partnership. It was it's a customer supplier relationship. And if I, if I wrote about it as a partnership, then then I'd be in trouble with my um, my editor at the time. <laughs> but that's something that I've kind of I've still carried on now as as the editor myself. But um, that's something that's kind of the, the, the kind of the three Ss mantra it kind of embodies the way that you do business with operators is you kind of see it as partnerships rather than a straight-up customer-supplier relationship, even though I won't write about it as such, but that's kind of been uh, key to your strategies.
1: Yeah, I would not even say it's a strategy. I think it's it's in our DNA uh, to, to listen, to, listen oh, to problems. Another cliche. <laughs> no, to listen to problems and then to see what we can do together to solve them. And I think it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to go too far, but um, if you look into classic uh, vendor customer relationships uh, in the past, they have been driven by uh, the customer came with their clear requirements. Uh, you made a proposal and the price it was signed, and then you were doomed to deliver that. You know, so it was all about deliver what I want. Yeah, but now, and especially this is how it works. It's much more agile. So. Actually, we, you both have probably a, a picture about what what you want to end up with, maybe in 12 months, 24, or even in five years as a target picture. But you know on the way you will discover so many new things that will force you to adapt this picture. And if you have a very, let's say, inflexible relationship and communication, then uh, adapting to that new picture um, is not possible so we as a company have been always trying to work like like you know like an extended team in, inside an organization no matter if that's 32 or swisscom or Alente or, or Proximus, you know we we are part of the teams uh, so we know about the problems and then everybody can contribute with ideas and solutions and i think this is part of our success and i'm very proud uh, in, that we managed as a company to keep up that spirit from a company that was yeah, when I started, I was the third employee to now uh, after 12 years being 300 people that we still have that spirit of the customer intimacy. Yeah? So it's more about how we enable the customer to have the best solution, but still on the other hand, uh build it based on all of our standards, which is our platform. And this is, I would say, this is why people call us still partner because we're not run away if you say uh, there is a problem we try hey okay what we can do about it and, and let's be let's be creative but we both lose if we don't find a solution that's a little bit also that yeah absolutely
0: so um going back to the timeline uh now you know I, I mentioned that you personally first appeared in faultline in may 2020 of course we met long before that yes so clearly it took a a few years before we found anything of value worth quoting. you introduced us at some point. I think. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But um but now of course you're a regular uh in, in Faultline. So uh but Three SS as a company first featured him uh, on the pages back in August twenty fifteen. Which, um, funnily enough, that was that was covering an announcement when 3SS became one of the preferred content partners at the time for Metrological, mm-hmm. which of uh, which, of course, then got swallowed up by Comcast, and then those guys stopped talking to anyone. But um, <laughs> I recall I recall being quite skeptical at first around the 2015 2016 time frame, you mm-hmm. know, thinking, oh yeah, what's so special about 3SS? Just this bunch of uh, <laughs> JavaScript developers, you know. But then it was uh, then it was a year I later maybe, that around. Time. Yeah, you remember that conversation? <laughs> it was um, sort of September 2016. I, I think I've scribbled down here when you launched the Three Ready framework. Uh, at the time, mm-hmm. it was uh, described as a unified viewer engagement system for IPTV and VOD. This coincided mm-hmm. nicely with the proliferation of Android TV operator here. You know, and the rest, as they say, is uh, is history. Business has boomed since then. But um, I mean. You, kind of looking ahead, what do you project is, is next for 3SS beyond that? You already mentioned the uh, that the UX is too complicated. Uh, how do you cut through that? You've already mentioned um, targeting uh, North America and South American markets, but what can we expect on the product uh, horizon? Uh, sort of adaptations around the 3Ready framework, that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so let's come from the history one more time. So I think we we needed... Mm-hmm the experience and that was maybe when i joined also 2012 until 2016 we needed the experience of really uh, delivering highly customized and uh, individual experiences and i think my best prime example is the swisscom tv uh, because uh, the people over there amazing people uh, they knew exactly what they want to build and they were not able to build it before uh, by using microsoft media room uh, so they were like coming okay now we want to build it so we learned basically everything that it needs to take to build a highly individual solution and and trust build the best service and then we try to you know take this know-how and also uh, basically apply it in all of other projects and i think we did quite a good job but there was this moment 2015 2016 when we said okay we we have to bundle this That we have a much better starting point no matter if that's the the ui ux so the whole design um, and the definition of all the logic uh, and the user flows but also a code base that you can use to launch much faster so this was 2015 2016 let's say when i now fast forward 2023 i think we are in a stage where so Ready is powering already many, many experiences, no matter if it's box, Smart TV, mobile, game console, uh, or your desktop browser, um, and also automotive screens. But we are getting now to the stage where we are much more, let's say, um, than just the front end. So in the past, you always have built these experiences from the back end. You said... I have this satellite. Uh, I get these streams, and then I have to push them into my systems. I, I need to gather some metadata about the EPG, and then I, I need to show it on the front. And then I have a TV product. Now it starts the other way around. It starts. Okay, what is the customer experience that our customers are willing to pay? This monthly price, and one big part is content. So we are now much more in the in the game of content aggregation, how we actually aggregate and get third party contents like Netflix, like YouTube, um, like, like everything in one place and how you can actually, when you have it in in one experience, how you can manage your service day by day um, to enable not only technical teams, but also editorial teams and marketing teams to come up with what is Tommy wanting to watch tomorrow? Because he's a, He's a big fan of of baseball, which I make make up right now. Yeah. And and this is always now um, that the need that the future platforms have to actually enable non-technical teams. So you can also code uh, call it no code solutions, where people are enabled just to use the software to build a better experience, but they have no clue how everything is connected and integrated and works. And and that's the kind of um, that's the kind of uh, complexity that we're solving for our customers. So we are building not only the front ends together, we're also integrating it seamlessly into all systems so that they have one tool to manage the service. And what is ahead is actually everything that I said, said also in the past, which is the future of entertainment. Um, we need to A, make it simple for customers uh, to, to have not only finding the content they want to watch but also accessing it so accessing meaning um, i have a subscription or i have a single sign on and i think this is where we are now at the beginning of a new area again Um, in in the last years everybody has aggregating a lot of content and a lot of apps but if you look at your personal behavior you You don't sign up for one service and then you stick with it for the next 24 months. You actually want to always switch to the service where the content is that you currently want to see. But managing this by yourself with your different accounts, with your different, uh, let's say, billing, uh, it's very complex. So I think we are trying to make it not only easy now to, to find the content discoverer, but also getting access. And here we, have, of course, are partnering with our operators and, and the other from the space. And this will be driving uh, a lot of innovations also in the future around the platform. Apart from the fact that the new screens are on the rise, which are the in-car screens, um, which are basically, uh, it's like it's your your seat on, on wheels. yeah, And you see now they're uh, actually... I don't want to say it, but you see like a more close to cinema experience in the future than actually have at home. Because if you combine with sound and video, you can really create a much more immersive experience than somebody could have in their own home. uh, Simply because the audio is also a big factor of of entertainment, um, not only for video, but also for for music. So where I'm trying to go, you're going to see us still solving the same problem we we want to make entertainment more simple meaning to find to access and also more personal so you always find something that is really uh, relevant to you in your context no matter you are at home on the go or in the car and our solutions will help operators and and our automotive partners uh, to bring that to, to life but the problem is uh, that we're trying to solve is, is the complexity of having much content in too many places.
0: That ties us quite nicely, actually, into kind of one of the easy observations that we've made at, at trade shows you know, in the past few years, that there, there appears to be you know, very little innovation happening on the UI UX side, you know, until you kind of scratch under the service, you know, all these streaming platform homepages, the operator launches, they all look virtually indistinguishable from one another these days. That kind of, that can be frustrating from the perspective of going to events you know with the sole purpose of like you know discovering disruption um and it isn't until you you speak to people and scratch under the surface that you actually discover that but the truth is that's not necessarily a bad thing no certainly not for consumers because they have familiarity not for the people Mm -hmm. you know developing these front end experiences like 3ss you can because then it, it helps you to presumably to you know standardize on elements and and certify them easier to streamline integration processes. And ultimately you can churn out more and more business and get quicker and, and, and have more customers, more time for more customers. You know, but the question is, you know, for, for people who kind of don't see b- below the, the surface one would assume that this is becoming quite a boring place to do business. Do you think the UI space is stagnating in, in some ways?
1: No, <laughs> well, I understand that outside view. And if I talk with our design team, you know, uh, we do now, I would say we do different designs or have a different process at least uh, than like 10 years ago 10 years ago it was a greenfield uh, a smart tv video app was undiscovered uh, you could try a lot of things and now you also have a yeah an expectation that has been created by not only netflix but also everybody who is basically or youtube uh, who is on the smart tvs and people are using it every day so you cannot just uh, say, I have a new UI UX concept and I throw it out there. Uh, you're going to fail very hard because people expect that a car has a wheel mm. and this is how I drive. And if you have suddenly no wheel, uh, you will not expect, uh, or you have first a problem to educate uh, customers and to that new UX. Uh, anyway, where I'm trying to get is that the differentiation um, is much more in the details now. It's not. How actually the home screen looks from a you know on a a press release you have this nice image and it looks very similar if you compare now uh, disney plus versus the netflix versus the prime it looks similar but the details are really who is able to shorten the discovery time to video or to content for you the best and because if you, if you look at how much time you spend searching for something in the evening, so let's say you start at 8 p.m. and you say now have time to, to, to watch something and, and you take 20 minutes to, to find something, you're already getting frustrated. So so having that time shortened is the differentiator. And of course, other differentiators are still how you're able to, to bundle it. So it's it's from a price perspective, also very attractive Um but I think a lot comes from how you actually are able to personalize it in a way, so you you find your content faster, and this this is much more about the differentiation. And to get there, uh, you have to solve a lot of complexity that is invisible to you uh, when you just look look at the UI from a let's say outside view.
0: Mm-hmm. Some people would argue that that. Is the job of the recommendation providers though? You wouldn't put yourself down as a recommendation engine provider, would you?
1: Um, I think we are um, working with the best partners uh, in that space who are really the experts. And uh, in our platform, we have the capabilities to seamlessly integrate them. So you, you as a platform, let's say provider, you can get the both from best from both worlds. So on the one hand, you have areas in the ui that are fully personalized to your behavior what you have watched before what you liked or uh, your profile and those are completely data driven but there's always this need that there is something the recommendation engine doesn't know and it's it's something maybe that just happened uh, in the world or locally that is relevant so you need to have this editorial control to put specific content or even create a new page that wasn't there yesterday just for the next two weeks and make it the topic and gather all the content from different places um, the work that you do uh, is is not replaced by an AI in the future because it still needs somebody who understands the audience the best who has um, the most recent view on what's what's important for that audience and then you just use sorry that I'm saying this just using the ai and recommendation tools to actually fill fill the gap partially but the rest is because uh, you know what was missing you know what is actually relevant so you can judge the output of these recommendations and tweak them but also on top put your own editorial flavor and that i think will be never replaced uh, by any engine not no talking only about recommendation engines And I think this is why we we partner with the recommendation engines, but our tools are able that you that you have this editorial part through our tools and the recommendation data driven parts through the partners, and combine it in one UI.
0: Okay. So they do all the work and you get all the praise.
1: (laughs) No, I think they get also a lot of praise and uh, also uh, in the in the right way. So I think the records are are doing a great job. In, in solving this discovery problem today.
0: Absolutely. So, um, I mean, and and that will take on a whole different um, world in the the automotive space, as you've already touched on. And mm-hmm. you've been talking about that for quite a few years, but it was around sort of mid-2021, where I kind of thought, oh, 3SS, they're, they're talking about it seriously now. Maybe they're, they're ready for, um, for for customers. And I remember tuning into an event of yours, another webinar um, dedicated to entertainment in the automotive Sector and I, I was quite scathing mm-hmm. about this in my post-event commentary because I walked away feeling that you know if you were a prospective automotive customer watching this panel you would you would have walked away assuming that you know 3S isn't anywhere near ready for your business. But now I know that has changed because you know it's what two and a half years later um, because I was treated to a, a car demo at IBC that was only what five months ago that was quite impressive. I can't remember the brand of the car. I think I need to be careful. The Polestar. Because, yeah, no, that was, it was a one. Polestar. That's the one. That was, that was cool. And you know, I, I, I need to be careful because I remember your CEO slipping me off the record comment about another automotive customer who <laughs> I don't know if you're allowed <laughs> to talk about yet in the, in the public domain on the podcast.
1: No, no. I think we are, meanwhile. Okay. So, uh, so I think, yeah, we, we have uh, worked uh, together with uh, our partner, uh, Paradox Cat uh, for BMW, and we delivered uh, the theater screen for the i7 series so it's live now you can actually go in and configure your bmw i7 with the with the rear seat entertainment option and uh, there you get like i would say one of the yeah the most advanced in-car entertainment solution uh today
0: amazing the cat is out of the bag tended (laughs) so it's the the strategy you know still to enter the in-vehicle entertainment space in partnership with operators or is that is that strategy changed somewhat?
1: Um, when you come to to new and uh, let's say developing markets, you you have an assumption uh, when you arrive, and I think our assumption is still and is valid that uh, the operators, especially the telcos, um, are connecting with the automotive space simply because uh, they provide the connectivity. Yeah, So they, they have a partnership. Uh, and we see this also with existing customers from us uh, who have a 5G network. They're already in touch with some of the uh, bigger car manufacturers to actually uh, have an agreement that is standardized. Um, and you can maybe also include in the future into your car. So you have an on-demand uh, 5G package to actually use for streaming or entertainment. And then the next level is just, okay, who gonna be the players who actually provide the entertainment uh, into the cars? Uh, and here this, this, this question is like, um, cannot be answered yet today, but we're gonna see what we see probably already on smart TV and in, in the, in the home living space. So you have direct to consumer apps that are, that will be, become available, um, no matter they're embedded in the car or you bring them through your phone, um, but those, those are one, let's say, kind of entertainment providers. And then the, the second one is maybe the, the car manufacturers by themselves becoming the, 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 the aggregator and the provider of entertainment solution, where you ex- exactly, again, bundle and, and provide the things, but using also much more car data, like how much time you, you have until you arrive, so you have much more data. That you can play with to recommend to personalize um and the third one is uh, or are the operators which already have these aggregated solutions and if you have this partnership already uh on the connectivity part, which is <laughs> without connectivity, there is no entertainment service, so this is again the the most important part first the sort um why why they're not entering uh, the space together so we see different models, we see different approaches. Uh, how Tesla does it versus Mercedes versus uh, BMW versus other new car manufacturers. But it's a space that is shaped, and I can just tell you that from uh, we have been at CES, and the the big change was that last year uh, automotive was already there and in-car entertainment was a topic, but this year was really the topic. Like, you could see it everywhere. There were so many demos, so many showcases. So um, it's it's becoming hot in the space, let's say, like this. Um, but the problem that the user has uh, it remains the same. You, you again, will be um, faced with a lot of choice that will become available. And you have to decide what to pick in my 10 minutes in my 20 minutes or even my five hours trip, uh, to my, uh, to, to, my vacation place. And I think this is something that, that we want to be still solving uh, together with all the partners there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Presumably it would involve some, some heavy uh, curation to make sure that no content involving car crashes is, uh, is offered (laughs) or recommended. A bit like being on a plane and having no final destination or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I I think the autonomous driving, um, autonomous driving trends are, are, are visible. Although I, I see it's, it's always happening a little bit slower because of that, you know, big, if something goes wrong, uh, the damage is too big. But uh, also here, um, Tomek, which is uh, our product owner for automotive, uh, he went to San Francisco after Las Vegas. Uh, and he, he was one of these uh, autonomous taxis. And he filmed it and sent it to me. And he said for him, this was the, the best taxi ride he ever had, uh, because he just used his phone, the car came. He went inside in the back seat and the car just drove where he wanted to to be but in a very smooth way so from the starting uh, acceleration to getting into the turn so it was like a super smooth drive um, and uh, he had time in between to actually look at a screen in the back where there was already some i wouldn't say entertainment but it was more like infotainment still um and this video showed me clearly that this autonomous driving will change and, and it will change the way we we yeah we spend time in the car. And I'm not saying that we're not gonna work in the car, but uh, video will be definitely a big part of entertainment, especially when we come to long journey uh, yeah. Uh, drives.
0: Yeah. What would it be even better if it America had invested uh, in? public transport infrastructure rather than roads but it's too late for that so. <laughs> but um, anyway, on the topic of uh, aggregation, Pierre, I noticed that um, you've been playing around with ChatGPT on uh, LinkedIn and you created an aggregation wrap and I was hoping that you could yes. uh, recite that word for word for us on the podcast
1: I, I have the script still somewhere but uh, <laughs> I, I would rather say uh, after this podcast you just uh, link to my post <laughs> and then you can experience by yourself. We'll do that. But, uh, we'll do that.
0: But no, I'm um, serious. I think on, it's on amazing. Topic, yeah, you think it's amazing. Yeah. Do you think, see it having w- real word kind of um, implications in, in your role and for 3SS as a company in the industry? I,
1: I think yes. So yeah, the thing is, you know, you you have all these buzzwords, you have all these hypes, and you have you have always this feeling that ah, oh, this 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 will change the game. Ah, oh, this will change everything. Um, and very often it's just an early feeling, and then after a couple of weeks it's like, ah, oh, okay, this, this will pass, or this will just improve the status quo a bit, or it will change a bit, but it will not fundamentally disrupt. Yeah. And I think what we see now with all these tools, it will be disrupted. And I could just, I would just advise to everybody, to just start using some of the tools in their daily workflow and they will see that they are not a threat but they they make you actually or empower you to focus much more on uh, on perfection of what you always tr- get and, and get faster there uh, without having um a, a lot of let's say time in between trying something so one example is um, you can now make, let's say, you can make a video within a few minutes and after that you can judge if it's good or bad. And before you had to first think about, okay, is it worth to actually create a video about this topic? Um, because I might spend the whole week with it, so I have to be clear before if it's worth it. So what what I'm trying to say is that these tools enable you to to much faster prototype test your own ideas, get creative. Uh, sometimes you get really crazy stuff that you don't need. But sometimes you get this magic thing, and you should just keep it. And where 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 the part is disruptive is basically, if, y- if you don't use these tools, other people will just uh, be doing the same things you are doing um, much faster. And they have just more time on this on this, let's say, perfection or differentiation. So I'm not saying writing will be uh, not a great um, how to say a profession. I think it will just be fundamentally different how you write the right words for your audience, how to get there. But still that this unique flavor and uh, what you have uh, as a human combining all your experience, all the touch points you had in your life with people, your inspirations uh, that draw the decisions you what you do then with these outputs. It's still unique, and where the big differentiation comes from, and no UI will
0: ever uh, create. So. Yeah, that's it. It's trying to figure out how to use it to your advantage. You know, we've we've played around with it a little bit with Faultline to see what kind of articles it it could write, in it the the copy it produced it kind of to me it read between a kind of mix of like some sort of you know half-assed high school project and, you know, a politician who repeats themselves, you know, using the same words, but structured in a mm-hmm. completely different order. So, you know, it doesn't sound like they're being repetitive, but they're actually they are being really repetitive, you know. And I know, I know it's not, chat GPT is not designed to be a journalist or a copywriter, but could definitely do with some fine tuning on, on that front. Um, so... Uh, I mean, that's that's probably a good place to, to wrap up, actually, um, Pierre. So just looking at the uh, the events calendar for our uh, listeners, where can they find you next? Mobile World Congress is the next uh, big one. Will you be there?
1: Yes, absolutely. So we're going to be in Barcelona and, uh,
0: yeah, please get in touch. Uh,
1: are you coming? coming.
0: Um, I don't go to Mobile World Congress these days because I had a bad experience in Barcelona that involved... Uh, losing my belongings (laughs) so someone in Barcelona has still got my watch so (laughs) many people had that uh, I think yes (laughs) exactly so I will be seeing you at um, oh no I've got a connected TV World Summit in London in March yes that's NAB,
1: NAB, some people are gonna be and then we have yeah I think um, the Angercom in Cologne which is uh, still there and we have a couple of other events
0: Thank you for coming on, Pierre. That was a really interesting chat.
1: All the best for, for the rest of the year. Thank you so much and um, keep doing the great work that you're doing. And I really love that you always have a little bit of a different approach uh, compared to, to all the other uh, people in the industry uh, that are writing about, uh, about what we do and what others are doing.
0: And to keep up this podcast, I think it's it's great. Thank you very much, Pierre. Appreciate the kind words. Cheers. Cheers.